This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me today is a very special guest, no stranger to the PTM family, no stranger to The Witness BCC. She is a writer. Um, She is an author, which we're going to be talking about today. She is a phenomenal podcast host. She is one half of the incredible duo of Melanated Faith, which is a witness podcast. Stop what you are doing right now, or I think you can multitask and go ahead and subscribe to Melanated Faith while you are listening to this conversation with the one, the only Faith Brooks. Faith, what is going on? Hey, nothing much. You know, it's just a nice little rainy day in Maryland. So things are going well here. I don't want to hear nothing much because you have written two books. I feel like you got two more coming out later <laughs> in the next year. You are on the move. You're recording podcasts. You get married. You got yeah. a dog. I mean, come on now. This is a lot. There's a lot going on. How have you been? What has this season been like for you? You know, it's been it's been pretty wild. It's been really busy, as you stated. Um, It's really funny because I started a lot of these projects in 2020 or 2021, but they're all kind of like coming out around the same time. Um, And so it's been really interesting uh, working on launching two books back to back. So Mm. the anti-racism journal was first and now my new book, Remember Me Now, comes out in January. But this season has been so special, you know, and in the book, I write a lot about my life, my upbringing, my experience, and also some really tragic and hard points in my life. Mm-hmm. And so it has been a journey. But the what people are seeing right now, I would say, in this phase of my life is just kind of the fruit, you know, from, from mm-hmm. many years um, of toil in some sense and hardship and um, a lot of hope and redemption in this season of my life. So it feels like everything's moving so, so fast, but at the same time, it's just, it's, it feels like the right time. So I'm, I'm glad that all these things are kind of coming together in this, in this way. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that gives our listeners a lot of hope as well that, you know, seasons will change and seasons can change. And there's the opportunity for redemption and restoration and abundance And I think you modeled that so well because you've been very vulnerable about your journey on social media publicly with the people who follow you and now transitioning. You've also been vulnerable and transparent about I'm loving life (laughs) and this is great and I'm not going to apologize for that. And I love the season (laughs) that I'm in. And that's really encouraging. You you mentioned the anti-racism journal. Can you talk a little bit about that? We're going to be talking about your new book that comes out in January. But can you talk a little bit about that and and inform our listeners why they should pick that up or recommend that to someone that they love? 
Yeah. So I wrote that journal really kind of out of some conversations that I was having on Instagram in 2020 and asking different questions to people online, just really engaging in conversation. And I realized that a lot of people are looking for a starting point. Like Mm. they really want a place where they can talk and ask questions and they want a place where they feel like they won't be judged, you know? And so I was like, you know, I think people need like a journal, a place to write, a starting point to begin reflecting on why they think what they think, why they believe what they believe, what got them there and maybe what needs to change. And also people who are at the beginning of their um, learning journey, they really don't want to read a big book, you know, Um, (laughs) they're kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't really want to do all of that yet. And so I found that if I could give people a tool where they could begin reflecting, have inner reflection, it's just you and your thoughts, then it would give them the opportunity to begin opening up. And then maybe they could be ready for that next book or that next thing. And I list a few recommendations in the back for people. So It's really meant to be a tool to be a conversation starter. You could use it in a group if you feel like you want to connect with other friends. But also, it just kind of frees up Black people and other people of color from having to work through some some of the beginning questions with people when they really need to self-reflect first. And then they might be more open to having a um, more healthy dialogue back and forth if they understand their starting point and where they um, began thinking the way that they do. You know what I love about um, this resource is I really appreciate when resources are honest. And the reality is most people are buying them books. They're sending the, all the anti-racism books to the number ones on the New York Times bestseller. And they're not reading them. They're yeah. skimming. <laughs> they're reading the first couple of chapters and saying, I got it. I'll take it. And people are putting in so much work to produce those and they're valuable and necessary. But oftentimes people are at different points in their journey. And so they need that starting place to process and think and then parlay into, okay, now I'm ready for a bigger book and something deeper. So uh, we'll link that in the description of this particular podcast episode. And so please go and pick that up. But we're here to talk about Remember Me Now. And Remember Me Now really roots itself in this journey back to yourself and also the Black women and people in your life who have shaped you. And so I want to start with Breonna Taylor, because it's clear that the Breonna Taylor situation not just has affected the entirety of justice movements moving forward, but specifically Black women in justice movements and Black women in our communities. Take us back to you hearing about Breonna Taylor and how that shaped you to ask some hard questions about yourself and people like you? Yeah. So I remember hearing um, about Breonna Taylor not long after I'd heard about George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery. And we were hearing about her story late. Um, People were actually just able to highlight it and bring it to the forefront. But what happened to her happened before what happened to both of them. And so, Mm. um, I first thought, well, that's crazy that we're just hearing about this, like nationally, globally. Um, Why is that the case? And I was also pondering on how we have to have this internal family conversation um, Mm -hmm. in the Black community, specifically between, you know, Black men and women, when we talk about the ways that Black women 
really pull up for Black men. And Mm -hmm. the way that it can be difficult to find that same sense of shared support um, within our own community from the Black men towards Black women. Now, I'm not putting a blanket out there and saying all people do this or whatever, but it is true that nine times out of 10, you're going to see Black women organizing protests, um, you know, creating action in their local community to really bring awareness to these killings that happen and um, really supporting our brothers in the fight. And what I saw with Brianna was almost, it felt like she was almost an afterthought. Hmm. And what happened to her was just so egregious, so tragic, and it didn't even need to happen. And when you look at the roots behind why it happened and the capitalism and all the things that were involved in really trying to make another dollar and costing a life, it is just, it left me frustrated, furious, and in some moments speechless, especially when I read the report that they initially put out about Breonna Taylor and it said the injuries were none. Like, and it was like, what? Like, is that what people feel and believe about black women that our life, everything just, it's worth nothing. And it really got me thinking about the ways that this country continues to craft narratives and stories around black women. And it's almost as if every day we have to fight the notion that we are abrasive, harsh, Mm. um, ghetto, you know, to, you know, we don't want to let anybody else in our lives, selfish, all these kind of things that are kind of put on us. And I really wanted to write a book that was full of love letters to black women to say, there's a space for us to be soft. There's a space for us to not feel like we have to carry the world on our shoulders and fix Mm -hmm. it all. In fact, there's some other people who can come in here and fix it too, because what we end up doing is working so hard that our lives are the ones that are paying the price, mm-hmm. our personal lives. Mm-hmm. We pay the price for overextending ourselves, for trying to fix it all, for taking care of everybody but us. And I'm really kind of, you know, putting out there to people that we can only do that for so long. Mm-hmm. We can mm-hmm. only take care of, of everybody else and not take care of ourselves um, for so long. Eventually we'll lose ourselves. And, uh, and in doing all of this, we're also teaching people how to treat us. We're teaching people that mm. come to me at any time. I don't, I don't have, you know, boundaries. I'm doing, you know, whatever needs to be done will get done. And I'm sharing that from my own personal experience of doing that, of being burned out, of doing too much, of going way out of my way to do all of these things for everybody else. And in the process, losing myself. Mm. And I wanted to write about how I was in the midst of my my own pain of losing myself, recovering from, you know, sexual assault and trying to wade through that while also realizing like I'm, I'm knee deep in the activism, you know, racial so-called, as I like to say, racial reckoning of 2020. Mm -hmm. And I'm personally broken, but I'm focusing so much on activism on the outside and how, 
can I find my way back to myself in the midst of all that I'm doing? And this book is really a culmination of me finding my way back home to myself and also just opening up a space of of love letters from um, how I experienced things in childhood through to adulthood Mm -hmm. And bringing my sisters with me. I, I like to say I open it up with like, imagine we're at coffee together and just talking mm-hmm. it. And that's how I hope people read it. Yeah, that is um, so insightful. I think, you know, I when you were talking, I was thinking about Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes and how she often talks about, you know, black women being used as mules and mm-hmm. being used to bear weights and uh, that are disproportionate from everyone else, you know, within the context of the broader community, the beloved community, but especially in the Black community as well. And you said so much there. I want to pull on this thread of journeying back to yourself, because in faith spaces especially, this is not language we typically use. We typically use the language of find your way back to God. You know, and we typically use that and and that's not to diminish that. But oftentimes I think it sounds good to us, but I don't think we think and we process about how self-discovery and reflection is crucial in spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. And so as you process journeying back to yourself, what does that look like? And I should say maybe before, was that terrifying (laughs) because I can imagine that journey is not a journey that's easy or simple. You mentioned certain things that that's going to make that journey difficult and have Mm -hmm. some obstacles. So what is that journey like for you? What was that journey like and what has it been so far? I think that journey for me came with a personal cost and a high price. I think that a lot of people don't talk about the price that you pay for making sacrifices, even if it's Mm -hmm. the right thing to do, even if Mm -hmm. it's the thing that you know you're supposed to do. So for me personally, what kind of brought me to, to my knees, to my decision point of saying, I need to find my way home to myself was, um, really having to reckon and face the fact that I had, deeply experienced deep sexual trauma and I had not processed it because I've been so busy working. I've been so busy doing. And it wasn't until I had to go to the doctor and had to really recount things that I felt this like almost like a wave of grief wash over me. And mind you, this is a whole year later. So I had been just working, 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 doing, 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 and just pushing this aside, pushing this pain aside, pushing this pain aside. And um, I really had to dig deep and ask myself, what do I need? Because right Mm. now, I'm doing everything for everyone else. I'm showing up for people. I'm trying to be a good daughter, sister, friend. Um, My husband and I were like newly dating at the time. And I just felt so overwhelmed by everything. And I I said to myself, I only have one opportunity to 
in my words, I said, quit my life, <laughs> to quit mm-hmm. my life, to quit mm-hmm. what I'm doing before I'm married, before I have kids or enter any of those phases in life um, to just stop everything. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I did. I, I resigned from my job. I um, sold a bunch of stuff at my apartment and I um, broke my lease and uh, sold, yeah, sold a bunch of stuff, broke my lease. My dad and um, my boyfriend at the time, Marcel, um, drove me to um, Maryland and I moved in with my brother and his family in their small mm-hmm. little guest room. And I started writing this book, but I also was really in this place of beginning to heal. And mm-hmm. Um, I was able to heal, begin that process of healing because everything was so quiet. I Mm -hmm. had removed every single distraction from my life. And honestly, it was a privilege. And I acknowledge that, that I was even able to do that, that I had the support and family to do that because not many people even have the opportunity to do that. And so it was a privilege for me to be able to stop everything and, I'm grateful because coming home to myself meant I had to face my greatest pain and it was pain I was running Mm. from. And it was very difficult. It's very difficult to sit in the quiet with your pain. It's very difficult to acknowledge where you've been hurt. Um, And I had a therapist, the same therapist I've had for, you know, six years. And and we kind of just work through different cycles of life. I do check-ins with her. Um, and I was in a phase where I was like, you know what? I need more than just check-ins. And so, (laughs) um, we definitely walked through things and she helped me a lot. And I just began to make space for the quiet, ask myself questions, journal, and begin that process of healing. And it wasn't easy. And in many ways it felt lonely if I'm being honest, Mm. because, I left my friends. I left so much of my community and I was really just to myself. And it might seem so silly, but at the same time, coming home to myself really meant I had to ask myself the question, if I'm not doing anything for anybody else, if I'm not caring for anyone and it's just me, who am I to myself? Hmm. And that's the question of me. She said, Faith, who are you to yourself? I hear you. Everything you're telling me is who you are to everyone else, but who are you to you? So that question led me back through my life to think through all the times I was assimilating and trying to fit in and college and the loops and hoops I had to go through being at a predominantly white Christian evangelical university and how I have worked hard over the years to find myself. But coming home to myself also meant not assimilating, not worrying about, you know, all these things people are, you know, talking about and and want you to be. It's who do I want to be without, if I'm not thinking about anybody else's opinions of me, like who do I, Faith Renee Brooks, want to be? How do I want to engage with God? How do I want to feel you know, 
all of those things, I had to ask myself that question and I gave myself permission to. So I would say that's what coming home to myself. That was the journey, you know? Wow. Woo. That's, you said something there. You said, <laughs> you know how they say that in church, like you said, you, you said something right there. That's, <laughs> who am I to myself? Mm-hmm. Apart from everyone else, apart from responsibilities, and you sit in the quiet and you reckon with the answer. And and I imagine for many of us, you reckon with the non-answer because mm-hmm. you don't have an answer yet. You don't know because you've just been assimilating for everyone else. That is profound. I think actually, I hope people will stop, pause the, the podcast and ask themselves that question, right? Mm-hmm. Who am I to myself? Hey, everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike. But let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode. Just a dollar? Now, that's the bare minimum. That's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, you can 10, go higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening. But you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. And in this moment, you're you're also you're healing from from this trauma. Mm-hmm. You're reckoning with your family's history. And then your personal history as well and how that influences what you do now and how you do it and your mm-hmm. personality and and you're coming home to yourself. And then you're writing this in a book. This is a lot. So at, at what point did you did you ever say, all right, this is too much? Because we don't often talk about this moment in the journey where we're healing. And everyone talks and romanticizes healing and therapy and all this and get you a therapist. And She's going to sprinkle dust on you and then, you know, gold dust. And then you're going to come out looking great and feeling great. And the reality is there are moments where you just say, I'm done. I don't mm-hmm. want to do this anymore. What was that? Was there a moment like that for you? You know, I think I probably gave up on writing my book like five times. Mm. Um I was always going to finish it. I knew that, but I would always feel like I can't tell another story. There's no more words. I've written everything I can write. And I had a really great, you know, writing coach who kind of helped, you know, me process my thoughts and, and was like, listen, you got more in you. You just need to dig deep. The best advice I could give is that I did not heal alone. Hmm. I healed in community. One of the biggest reasons I moved back with my brother is because he has two little kids and I just love children. I just think children are the best and um, kids are just really healing for me. Yeah, mm. They might not be for other people, but for me, they are. <laughs> right. And so I really love my niece and nephew and there's something about being brought back down to earth with the innocence of children mm. that really fills me up and that really 
just brings me healing, you know, and some of my hardest times, if I was sad or depressed, my brother would be like, take the baby, <laughs> you know, just take the baby and, right, and go. Right. <laughs> um, and it was just so much fun to be with them. I, the biggest thing is I wasn't alone. And I knew that if I was going to go to the next level of healing, I needed to not be by myself, you know. Mm. And when I was in Atlanta, I was at, by myself in my apartment just living my life. But I was hurting and in deep pain by myself. And I needed my people. So I had that space with my brother to talk, to cry. You know, one morning I was deeply triggered and I was like, I need to talk to you. And he was like, I'm about to take the kids to school. You can get in the car in your pajamas and we can talk. And we did. And I cried most of the way with him just talking to him. And when I talked to my family and they said, why do you want to share your story? Why do you want to share this pain you've gone through? What motivates you to do it? I said, because there's so many other women that have experienced this, especially in church, that just don't want to talk about it. Hmm. And I feel like there needs to be a space for it. So I, I would say that healing is, it's not just this, you know, super succinct journey, you know, right. I feel like healing right. comes in waves and um, I was surrounded by community. I was also, you know, dating my now husband and opening my heart to love and I had an amazing person that was just willing to journey with me through this really difficult season of my life and love me through it. And mm-hmm. so it was really special. So there was so many multiple layers of healing going on at the same time for me. And, you know, just like I assumed, <laughs> it was six months of me being with my family and writing and all of that. And then I got engaged and we eloped two months later. And so (laughs) um, I really did only have a short window of time, like one last time when it was just me. And it was the best decision I ever made to heal in community, let myself be okay with not being okay. And there was plenty of days Mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. And to keep going and to keep writing even when it was hard. Yeah. And that's what I did. So this book, I I wrote in there that this, you know, I'm writing this at one of the most painful points in my life. Hmm. And as I just read it back and have read the book several times, I'm so grateful for the words that have flowed onto the page. And where I am now is a beautiful beautiful reflection of the way that God can redeem the hard things. So, yeah. Yeah. That is so helpful. Um, I think that's such helpful, clear advice for people to take and latch on to. I do want to mention, you mentioned your family. I was just having this conversation with my wife because she mentioned uh, something and a family member had told her uh, after she asked them a question, don't go asking them questions about our family. You know, don't go asking those questions. And uh, I remember this because I was brushing my teeth. And you know how you're brushing your teeth. And you're like, you know, and I was like, what do you expect us to do 
And I, <laughs> I cleared my mind. I was like, what do they expect us to do? How do they expect us to move forward if we don't know about our past? Mm-hmm. And she was like, I don't know. And so we had this long conversation about this. And you talk about your past in the book. You talk about your family's history. You talk about roots. You talk about what you've been through and how that's influenced and shaped from family members that are, are long past now to, to who you are today. Why did you find it important to do that? And then also, what was that like in the story and the excavation of bringing your family's history to other people? Because that's always very sensitive for uh, Black community, Black families. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You know, they just, <laughs> we're not asking questions. Who is that? I don't know. Like, I had a family member, um, I mentioned, I made an off comment about slavery. And, I, I, you know, I wonder where our family, who, who cares? We're here now. And I'm like, I just want to know, you know? Yeah. I just know. <laughs> so what was that journey like with connecting family to where you are now? You know, it was something that was really important to me and has become more important to me as an adult to have a better idea of where I come from, because it's just a part of it's a part of me. And the more you learn about DNA and and genes and all these things, you realize, like, I'm deeply connected to these people, you know. Um, And so I wanted to ask my grandparents questions And so I just started asking. My grandpa is, you know, full of wisdom. I'm actually really close to him. He's my buddy. We talk a lot. And um, I just asked him a ton of questions. And I recorded some of it and really wanted to hear what he had to say about his dad and his family. And I just realized that this is an important opportunity. I have got to take it. I might not get him to talk this much to me again. (laughs) And so um, I like to really dig up stuff, you know, and talk about memories he had. And the more I understood about him and his family, the more I really realized like, wow, we come from such a rich history and how our family, you know, was a part of the great migration, the things they experienced in the South and that brought them to Chicago. And, and it just felt really important for me to tell that story because it's a part of who I am. And, you know, I get real in the book, you know, about my life. I talk about even when my dad and I have had our own conflicts Mm -hmm. and my family was okay with it. You know, um, Wow. You're when you're reviewing this back, you know, they have to ask you, you know, you're saying personal things about family members. Did you ask right. them? Yes, I asked, you know. <laughs> yes, I right, I shared right. it with them. Yes, I read it back to them. And um I just got really lucky that my family was open to me sharing aspects about their life and their story. And I feel really honored that I got to do that. My dad and I are really close. And um, I talk about a really hard time in our relationship when we were not Mm. very happy with each other, you know, Mm. and we had a lot of brokenness in our relationship. And I get really vulnerable in the book about it. But the point is, is that things can be hard and complicated. Family stuff can be difficult. But I do still believe that there can be, in some cases, when it's healthy and safe, redemption. There can be healing. There can be bouncing back. 
Um, we can tell these stories where it's good for us to understand where we come from so we can better understand ourselves. I better understood what motivated me in the activism space when I understood what motivated my grandparents who were in the activism space, who I really didn't know that till I was an adult. And so once I learned so much about their journey, I was like, oh, that's why it resonates with me. Like, this is in my DNA. This is what we do. This is who we are. And that is motivating, you know, and it's captivating. And so coming home to myself also meant if I am not viewing myself through the white gaze, who am I? Hmm. Hmm. And coming back to me felt like, okay, not only am I going to see who I am from my historical standpoint, but I also want to learn about God from black theologians and people that I feel like are really speaking to me directly. And that's why I wrote this book. And I wrote this book for black women. You know, white folks will ask, well, can I read it too? I mean, anybody can read the book. Anybody can read it. But I wrote it to black women specifically because I wanted us to have a book on the bookshelf. I remember working at a Christian bookstore. I read all those different books. They weren't writing to me. Most of them were by white authors. They were not writing to me, but I read their book. I found something. I got something out of it. But I always wished there would be a book on the shelf that was for me. And Mm -hmm. that's why I wrote this book, a book for us. I want everybody to read it. But for Black women, I want them to see the book and say, that book is for me. And and hopefully they'll find something within it that encourages them. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. The final thing I want to talk to you about is this title. Remember Me Now. And the power of memory in the present. Mm-hmm. How did you choose the title? And I think it's such a um, powerful phrase because it speaks to the present and where you are, but also it is it speaks to memory and it speaks to the importance of it. And you know, it's an imperative instruction. Mm-hmm. Talk about why it was so important for you um, to call this book "Remember Me Now." You know, I think one of the biggest things that I realized after Breonna Taylor's death was that everybody was willing to say her name in her death. And they weren't saying her name when she was alive. Mm, Yeah. And so it really got me thinking about how I want it to be remembered. And I was thinking that, you know, we need to be remembered now, not just when we're dead. We need our flowers now. We wait too long to give people their flowers. We wait too long to tell people Mm. that they're loved and needed and appreciated. And we give people their flowers when they're gone. Mm. People hear the best about themselves when it's over and, and they'll never, you know, they'll never really ever on earth hear, hear it. You know, they'll only um, get all of those accolades at the end. And it made me think, why do we have to die to get our flowers? Why can't we be remembered while we're here on this earth? And why are Black women oftentimes forgotten? Hmm. So I really wanted to present a case for Black women 
to be remembered right now as we are for who we are. And we can be honored in the present. We don't have to wait until we're gone. We can do it right now. Well said. Amen. Amen. The book is Remember Me Now. It comes out in January of 2023. If you are listening to this later after January 17th, go pick it up. Now you can pre-order it. Faith, where do you want people to pre-order the book, Remember Me Now? So you can pre-order the book wherever books are sold. Um, If you go to any indie bookstores or Black bookstores, of course, I highly encourage you to do that just to support um, the work of Black retailers. So um, other than that, wherever you want to get your book, you can get it. It's available. You know, Faith, I haven't said this, but I think um, the work that you're doing um, you know, me in the Pentecostal space, we use this word, we overuse this word, but you have a healing anointing, I think. And, um, watching your journey from afar has been healing. Then now I think you're putting that healing anointing and the power of this on the page. And I think it's going to serve so many people. Well, I think there is a perception in our movement that, um, we have to be uh, loud and direct, and and there's there's this archetype of a activist mm-hmm. that I think people like you are redefining. We're redefining what it means to be an activist. That activist can to be gentle and soft and received, and can define what they need when they need it, and have boundaries mm-hmm. and limitations, and heal. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is going to be really special for people to read. And I can't wait for the world to uh, receive it. And uh, thank you for writing it. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for coming on here. I felt distinctly as I was, um, as we were talking, like this is why the witness exists. Mm-hmm. You know, for moments like this where people can find out that someone else has healed and maybe they can heal too. So thank you, Faith. Thank you. Thank it's, you. Uh, we're glad to have you as a part of the Witness uh, extended family and uh, also as a guest again on Pass the Mic. Thanks so much. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.